So before we start the new paragraph, I just want to summarize the previous paragraph. We spoke about a general principle of the Baini. Remember, the Bainini, because a Jew has two souls, there's a question, what happens regarding that conflict of the souls? Does the godly soul subjugate the animal soul? That we call that person a tzaddik. Or God forbid the opposite, the animal soul succeeded in subjugating the godly soul. Does anyone remember we call that person? Russia. A Russia. And then we have where neither soul has succeeded in subjugating each other, but there is a natural advantage to the godly soul over the animal soul. Thus, when if, if neither soul is subjugated, it ends up being that the godly soul becomes the deciding factor in how the person behaves and how the person lives their lives. And not the entirety of the experience, but the center upon which their experience revolves. And we said the main, the, the main principle that to really succeed in being a Bainani comes through governing your heart through your mind. And specifically the idea of contemplating the greatness of Hashem, leading to the emotional experiences of the godly soul. Love and fear manifesting in the urge and need to be careful regarding the negative mitzvahs and to seek out closest to Hashem and the positive mitzvahs. Right? That's what we learned? Oh. So that was like six classes in like one minute. Okay. Now, so we are on the paragraph that starts furthermore. Furthermore, one must know an additional important principle in the service of the Bainanim. The Bainim is plural for Bainani. This is that. Even if the capacity of one's intellect and spirit of one's understanding do not attain the level of producing a revealed love of God in one's heart to make it glow like burning coals with a great desire and yearning and heartfelt passion to cleave to him. But the love is hidden in one's brain and the recess of one's heart. There's a long run on sentence here. Now, we're going to skip. Okay. Um, two. Actually, we're not even going to skip. We'll just, we'll just stop here. So, yes. A, a, a annoying feature of rabbinic writing is the long run on sentences. Why uh, is that? Was it just like their syntax and conversation is different? So, first off, Hebrew actually is a, a lot of sentences, I think, a little bit easier than English. Um, there's no punctuation, which also changes things. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense is also um, in that rabbinic writing involves a lot of flow of thought, much rather than trying to write for an audience. Um, one of the things that makes studying Gemara very difficult for people is that it's kind of like reading a script you have to really inhabit the mind of the speaker to know what they're saying. Just looking at the words often is like not enough, right? Um, you find actually that in the, the um, Rebbe's discourses, the Rebbe seems to be very sensitive to this issue and in his edited discourses, takes great effort to use punctuation and avoid run-on sentences as much as possible. But even that, it's still somewhat awkward from translating it into English. Strangely, once you get used to it, it's not that difficult. Um, like by the time you get to the end of the sentence, you forgot what the beginning was saying. 
Yeah. But there's also a sense, I think, also of being able to like read quickly and follow the train of thought. And the idea is like, uh, this is really getting out of this altogether, but there is a sense in which Torah study is supposed to be... immersive rather than clinical. So the idea that you're standing above the text and deciphering the text, rather you're supposed to be more like in the train of thought, engaged. And so that, that might have something to do. Those are all just my own thoughts on the moment. Um, they could all just not be correct. So, All right. So there's this idea that the Benini may not be able to uh, um, produce the intense emotional experience we've been describing. Rather, the love stays hidden in the brain in the recesses of the heart. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to just talk about, he's presenting a, a, a possibility. The possibility is that the person has done all of the contemplative prayer, the meditation, and they have not succeeded in producing the intense emotional experience that we've been describing, neither the fear or the love. Now, you'll notice that he focuses primarily on the lack of producing love and not the lack of producing fear. You notice that? Okay. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into that. Um, like I said, there are, even though love and fear are both emotional experiences, there are fundamental differences. I spoke about how fear has a lot much more to an awareness of beyond yourself, whereas love has a much more identification with something. And so there's a, there's a, a way in which the fear is much more in the mind than the heart is. Um, I don't know if I want to develop that more than we've already spoken about it before, but I'm just pointing it out. What I do want to speak about um, is the idea of having a problem. Okay. There are many problems that we can have. So... The problem being described here is that one has failed to achieve the kind of intense experience of love of Hashem. Now, the, the failure to achieve the intense experience is um, the result of something, right? In other words, we've described that if you do A, the contemplation, then B should result that you have this intense experience. So if B is not resulting, something has gone wrong, right? Make sense? In life, if something, you're not getting the desired result, that doesn't always mean that you know for sure what's going wrong. I mean, the simple, the simple thing is, right, if you, um, you have a device, you have a computer, your computer's not working, recently my computer wasn't working. And so like, I knew what the problem was, is that it kept blocking the internet. So I couldn't teach on Zoom, which is a problem. <laughs> um, but how do you fix that? Checking what? the internet. What? Checking the internet. You check the internet. My wife's computer was working, so there's no problem with the internet. The Wi-Fi is fine. The internet connection is fine, right? You can see if my internet's on on my computer, but that, right? So you start running through what could possibly be the problem, right? At a certain point, I discovered that all of the different things that I thought could be the problem, that I knew how to adjust, didn't solve the problem. So then what did I do? I went online to look for other people's ideas. And I went through that for like, you know, this period of time and none of those solved the problem. At that point, what did I do? Take it to a store to fix it. Take it to a store to fix it. So then what does the guy do? Diagnostic. And he does that. And what does it turn out? That still doesn't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> so he says, well, clearly there's some serious defect in the, like he's isolated. There's something has gone wrong in your windows, <laughs> the operating of the window, like that. <clears throat> so your choices are, to hope somebody can somehow figure out what they needs to fix, or I can just like wipe the windows, reinstall it for a fee. 
And you lose everything? What? And you lose everything? Well, I, I use the computer for teaching on Zoom, so oh, it's not like... Okay. I, I could back up stuff. He said you could back up for an extra charge. Just like I had one thing on the computer, I just plug my phone, and I'll back that up myself. Thank you. <laughs> um, like, I, I don't like... I, I, you know, I, I you know, just teach on Zoom and email. I don't have to do my, anything else on it. Okay, but you see, like, just because you see the problem in, in terms of its manifestation doesn't mean you really have a sense of what the problem really is. Right? This, is, this should be obvious. I just wanted to use a tangible example. So a person's like, I do not feel this passionate desire to cleave to God. I just don't. Why not? There could be a number of reasons why not, right? right. Our chapter is going to be dealing with a specific reason why not. But before we start saying, okay, this, this is obviously the problem, we should run down a few obvious things. Number one, we did say that this intense emotional experience is created through um, this kind of meditative, contemplative Practice, right? If I'm not doing that practice, should I be surprised that I haven't achieved that intentional emotional state? No. What if I'm doing the practice, but I'm doing it in kind of the Yiddish expression, Yetzizayin, just enough to fulfill my obligation, like just enough to feel like I'm I'm not. I, so I can say I'm not not doing it. You know, there's things in life that we're like, you know, I'm not really putting my whole being into it. Well, then also I probably shouldn't be surprised, right? Um, later on, the, the altar will speak about, um, and I'm just going to mention this now, um, the possibility the person is a sinner. And we can discuss and debate what it means to be a sinner, which we're not going to do right now. But if you really are a sinner, not you have sinned, but you are a sinner, what he calls a Russia behemoth. He has this, this um, modifier, truth. A, you are, true, you are <coughs> truly wicked, not just you've sinned. Then he says, then, then, then you can contemplate, meditate from day to tomorrow. It's not going to work. Okay, another possibility. What if I'm putting my all into the contemplation meditation, but I just don't know how to do it properly? I'm just doing it wrong. Right? For instance, if you recall, when we did those exercises, right, how one of the first things we spoke about is the difference between really contemplating versus visualizing, right? Now, if a person does a lot of time visualizing, they're... I mean, visualization produces other effects. Not necessarily bad things, not necessarily good things, but it's not this, right? So um, then you also have the possibility um, that you don't know how to contemplate. Like, there's an assumption here that everyone can contemplate. Maybe you don't know how, so we can give you the technique. Maybe you aren't putting in the effort to really truly do it. Maybe there's a blockage because the person is, a, is truly a sinner and so it's not, it's not, it's not going to have the n- normal effect it has. But there's also a possibility, just one second, there's also a possibility you just are not capable of contemplating. That's also a possibility. Um, Dr. Buddha starts discussing that in chapter 18, by the way. Are we saying that's true or it's not true? There, there are people like that. Um, so I actually want to spend a little time on this point because I think it's important to clarify... <laughs> this issue um, between somebody who doesn't know have the technique of contemplating, they haven't practiced it, so they're not good at it. Or, because right, you're not good at anything unless you work on it. Even if you're naturally gifted, you're not really good at it unless you work on it. Um, so there's that. And there's the idea of being a sinner, which like I said, I don't want to talk about right now. That's, that's chapter 17. Um, and there's the possibility that you're just not putting the effort into it, even if you could do it, right? But then there's also the possibility that you're just not able to contemplate. And I want to talk about that because I, I, I think it's important 
to differentiate that from what we're going to talk about here. Because what we're talking about here is a person who fully contemplates. Their contemplation is working perfectly, and yet they're not producing the emotion. And not because they're a sinner. Yeah. So you said two options. Someone who is like, A, doing it wrong or not capable as two separate Yes, like, yes. What's the- so that's what I want to... So doing it wrong means... You could be doing it wrong, A, because you're, you, you're just not, you don't have it practiced enough, so you're just bad at it. Um, another thing is that it's not just that you're, it could not be that you're not bad at it, it's just you're, you're mistaken. You think you should be doing one thing, you should be doing something else. If you're doing visualization rather than kind of that reflective um, um, contemplation we spoke about. Okay. But there, there is another possibility. Um, and I need a volunteer who's willing to be slightly embarrassed in public to illustrate the point. Okay. Um, what are you guys learning in Chassidus in the morning? I'm trying to remember. Dreams. What? You're learning about dreams. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember anything from what you learned? Any idea? It doesn't matter from today, from yesterday, last week. I don't care. Yeah, one of the things that um, Esther mentioned was that in a dream, there's two conflicting things that are happening. And the second that your intellect realizes it, that's when you wake up. Okay. I'm paraphrasing. Okay. But that's what my takeaway was. Okay. I want you to, like, explain that for the next five minutes. Now, start talking. Can I have a second to prepare? You can have a second to prepare. You can have even have, like, 30 seconds to prepare. 30 seconds? Okay. Um... Explain to the group in what way, like how they want. To you. Okay. Why don't you spend five minutes elaborating what you just said. Okay. So we learned this morning, or at least what I learned this morning, was that we, that in a dream there's two conflicting things that are happening at the same time. And when we're in our, when we're dreaming, when we're presumably asleep, our soul leaves our body and it's going up to this higher level and the second that intellect, so maybe that like awareness comes into play, your soul is automatically brought back down. And I don't know about all of you, but I feel, I at least remember most of my dreams. Maybe not like the second that I wake up, but throughout the rest of my day, like some random things will remind me of it. It's very weird. But... I think that it's a very it's a very real thing because the whole point of your soul going out of your body and being on this higher level is meant to remove the intellect because the intellect is what makes us human. It's the thing that separates us from just being a soul to an actual person. Um, does anybody else remember their dreams? You're okay. avoiding the task. What's the task? To elaborate for five minutes, you started asking me this. I am elaborating. I'm elaborating. Five minutes. But I'm elaborating in what I feel is an elaboration. That's fine, but it's, but you still asking other people. Does anyone else remember their dreams? Is that a bad thing? It's not you elaborating. It's asking for feedback. I'm not asking for feedback. I'm asking for input. Same. <laughs> I want you to be the source of the. You want you to just output. Okay. What if I say that I can't? Why can't you? I haven't prepared. Okay. How would you prepare? Let's say I gave you an hour to prepare. 
Mm-hmm. And I asked you to speak on this for five minutes and elaborate. Then what would you do? Well, anytime I've made a speech or led a, led a whatever explanation of something, <clears throat> I usually write an outline. Okay. So here's the topic. Here's what I want to talk about. Maybe there's like three main points that I want to make. Okay, so I'm going to make comments as we go along. So that's okay. organization. So one thing you do is organize your thoughts. Yeah. Okay, fine. Organization. Um, then I'll probably want to bring in examples okay. of things. So proof, support. Okay, where would you get those examples? Well, it depends on the topic. I guess for... This topic. This topic. Um, what was it? Torah or. So I bring in examples from this book. So you would go do research. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not allowed. Why I want not? You, because I want things where you are, you are, doing, the, you are doing the preparation. You're all, everything <clears throat> you're drawing from your own, what you already have. No oh, inputs. Okay. So I want you to do that. So I understand that in real life, you're preparing a speech, you, you might go do some research and that happens. But yeah. So if I want you to elaborate on this topic and you get no further inputs, right? So not now in the middle of talking, not in the hour you're preparing. You can have an hour to prepare. And one of the things you can do in that hour is organize your thoughts but you can't go get more information. So then what would you do? Okay. So if I couldn't go get more information, I might bring examples from my own life, things that have happened to me to further explain it. Okay. The not asking the audience part is hard for me because I like interacting with the audience. <laughs> Clearly. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Tell a story. Where did you get the story from? My life experience. See, so just isn't that like another version of what you're saying? Bring an example. Or another kind of example. Okay. So you'd organize your thoughts, and you'd try and find examples from your life. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Pretty much it. Okay. As I asked you permission about being slightly embarrassed. Hundred okay. <laughs> percent. It's good to be vulnerable. <laughs> yes, we discussed this. I feel very uncomfortable, like, pointing this out about a specific person. I just, I found that speaking about it in the abstract does not make the point almost clearly as when you have a concrete example. <laughs> there is a way in which people often are only able to regurgitate what they've already received. Now, there's obviously the very superficial level of regurgitation where you literally are repeating verbatim, word for word, as we <clears> said <throat> to you. Mm-hmm. But there's a more, like sophisticated regurgitation, which is you are given something and what you are given is what you're reproducing. You might use your own examples. You might organize it slightly differently, but in the sense, the output that you're giving is basically the input you received. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There is a way in which a person can put out more than what they received that they might learn this particular topic and they might prepare to speak on it. And this could happen during speaking. It could happen in preparing to speak. They pull out of that um, more than they knew, more than they had going in. So they're able, right, they're, they're able to, in thinking about, say, this concept about dr- dreams there's opposite things that that come together 
and that when you have uh, your intellect, you wake up, the person is able to realize that that actually connects to something else entirely. And that in that connection, they now are become aware of a third thing they never knew before. And so when they start elaborating on that point, that point now becomes embedded in many other different ideas, not examples of the same idea, not stories to illustrate that idea, other ideas, different ideas. And the way those ideas relate then produce other ideas. And it's kind of like, like a multi-generational family where you have like, you know, people get together and produce children and then their children get together and produce more children. And when that starts happening, your mind, pardon the, the, the expression, it starts racing, it's on fire. That, that, and, and, and that, just like on a population level, like if that were to continue without like any sort of famine or war, right, what happens is that from a small group of people in the first generation, you end up with millions and billions of people, you know, several generations down the road, right? That's a very different thing. And what Chassidah says is that's because a person is not just understanding and grasping, it's they're actually really getting a sense of what it is. Their mind has a, 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 the ability to really recognize what this is and how it relates to other things. Um, and the expression that the Alter Rebbe actually uses later on in chapter 18, he uses, he uses an expression, daitek um, tsara, someone's mind, someone's, in English they translate this as, um, His understanding of the knowledge of God is limited, but, but it doesn't mean their intellectual understanding. It means their sense of what they know is, 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 is limited to the way they know it. And they can't pull out of it other things and see how it relates to other things. And so it's like, you know, the boy's over here and the girl's over there. And if you just have that, like there's no children, there's no future generations. And in order to really do this contemplation, in order... To, well, a person has to have enough of a sense of what they're thinking about in their mind that they have a sense of it, they sense how it connects to something else, and then that produces a third thing that no one ever told them, and then that, having a sense of that and those other things then produces more things and more things and starts to grow exponentially until their mind has built a whole new sense of things that they never knew before, all from without any additional inputs. And that's called um, a das chava, a broad, it's not really knowledge in the sense of information. Now, the thing is like this. Some people have a knack for this in a particular area and not in another area, right? I'm, I'm sure there are areas in life um, where if I'd asked you to speak about something for five minutes, you start talking, this would happen. Everybody has areas in life where that happens, right? I specifically picked something where I was pretty sure it wasn't going to happen to illustrate the point. That's well, not nice, but... <laughs> but it was very smart. Okay. Um, right, but if, if you were to like go to, if you were to go to somebody like say a chef and say just out of the blue, you know, can you start talking about um, acid? It's not just they could regurgitate a lot of information. As they're thinking about it, new things occur to them, new ways. They, they, mm. right? There's actually a, a thing, that the, the second Chabad Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, he would actually, in the middle of his discourse, to say, shh, shh, to himself, <laughs> because his mind would go so far on fire that he, he literally, like, his mind was going so fast, he, was, would, he would have stumbled over the words. They couldn't get out. Um, and, and so the thing is, the contemplation, you have to have, it's not just a matter of intellectual ability. It's not just how smart you are in the sense of that. And it's not just the sense of like how much information you have. You have to have the, 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 
this quality of like knowing what you're talking about and kind of having a sense of what it really is has to be there sufficiently that when your mind starts contemplating it, you're not just reviewing. You're not just regurgitating. You're actually developing a richer and deeper sense of it. And if you don't have that capacity when it comes to godliness, which is a possibility that people could have, either some people have it always and some people have it only in certain stages in their life, but if that's the case, you're not going to be able to contemplate. Contemplating will just seem like a mental reviewing of everything. And it will, that would never produce emotion. So in other words, in order for this contemplation to work, in order for it to say that the person is doing this contemplation, they would have to have enough of a sense of what we mean by the greatness of Hashem that when they start thinking about it, what happens? Their mind starts doing that, oh, this is, it's not like that. And that's like, that, uh, that's what that really means. Oh, but, but don't. And then that kind of thing, not where like, okay, how many different ways can I say the same thing over and over again? Right? That's not going to... And that requires a kind of mental sensitivity that Dr. acknowledges in chapter 18, people don't always have. And if you don't have it, then you just can't do this kind of contemplation. It's not a matter of learning technique. It's not a matter of learning what to do. It's not a matter of practicing. And by the way, that's where the Altarabah goes on to give other approaches for developing our, our emotional bond with Hashem. Like, this is not the end-all and be-all. Okay? So the reason why I'm saying that is, like, the Altarabah is going to discuss that a person might have a particular problem, right? Like, at, just saying I haven't developed this kind of intense, passionate love for Hashem, right, is the problem because I'm not putting the effort into contemplating? Is the problem that I don't know what I'm supposed to do? The problem is I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm putting the effort. I'm just a beginner, so I haven't progressed to really an advanced enough stage. Is it because I'm a sinner and that itself is, creates a, a blockage? Or is, there, or is it that like I'm just not at the place where that kind of contemplation is possible because it requires a kind of awareness of what I'm talking about in a kind of very real way so that my mind can actually really turn on high, on active. Does this, this make sense? Like, that, that needs to be there. And you'll see that people have that maybe in one area. And, you know, it's, this is a little bit, you know, it's like, it happens a lot with couples. Somebody's like really into something and they're talking to their spouse about it. And it could go either way. And then the other spouse is perfectly capable of understanding, perfectly capable of hearing, perfectly capable of regurgitating exactly what was said, and they have to be not listening to me. So what do you mean I'm not listening to you? I can repeat everything you said, and I understand it perfectly. But your mind isn't active. It's not engaged. It's not, like, because when I'm talking about it, like, everything I say, another thing pops into mind, another angle, and you're just like, yeah, it is what it is. And, and, and again, the, you know, I'm saying speaking about marriage because I think it's a common problem in marriage, Friends, it's probably less common because friends have this kind of self-selecting thing that often friendships are around be having the same sense of things, right? That, you know, two people are both, have this deep sense of, I don't know, it's just the, the, the beauty of Arabian music. And like, so they, that's how their friendship started. And so like, they have that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, there's other things going on in, in a marriage. But again, it could happen in any relationship. So, so that's... You, a person has to kind of have that their mind turns on when they think about God. Otherwise, this contemplation is not going to Now, you don't necessarily know that your mind will or won't until you push yourself into it, right? But it could be the person pushes themselves into it and they just, like, they have all the techniques down, everything down, and just at the end of the day, it just feels like finding new ways of saying the same thing over and over again in their mind. So that means that that, 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 that das, that awareness 
is too shallow, it's too constricted to even for this kind of contemplation to even happen. That's not what we're going to be talking about in this chapter. We're talking about the chapter where the person is contemplating, their mind is on fire, they're thinking, and they're engaged, and, it's, and yet it doesn't produce any intense emotional responses whatsoever. That's the issue in this chapter, is that the person is doing the contemplation, and they don't have the problem of being a sinner. Um, they know what to do. They're putting their effort into doing it. They're sufficiently perf- good at it that they reasonably should expect it to work. And, and they're really capable. They're, their mind is, 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 is you know, it's, it's, it's racing. It's, it's there. And yet, it doesn't produce any emotional change. Their heart rate doesn't start increasing because of their great desire and yearning to be close to Hashem. They don't feel the trepidation of stepping over the line into the abyss of separating themselves from God. And like, that's a question. Like, if your mind is that engaged, why are you not having that kind of an emotional response? That should be correlated. That's what the question we're dealing with. So that's why it feels very important to understand what is the, what is, what kind of problem is he addressing? He's not addressing the problem of God is so remote, God is so abstract, I just can't engage my mind in this no matter how much I try. That's a separate problem. That's chapter 18. He starts addressing that. It's not like I'm so crass and a sinner that like there's a blockage for me ever feeling an intense emotions connection to Hashem. That's a separate issue. Um, it's not that I don't know what to do. Like that doctor doesn't tell you if you don't know what to do. You just find someone who can give you some guidance. It's not that I'm not willing to put in the effort that you've got to decide for yourself. It's not that I just started. I mean, if you just started, so no one should expect to be a prof- you know, really proficient in anything when they're just be- a beginner. But if all those things aren't the issue, the doctor was saying, you could still have a situation and it's not uncommon that the contemplation is working perfectly and the emotional response is not happening at all. And the question is like, well, what's, what's wrong? Like, what am I supposed to do about that? Does this make sense? Okay, so it's about the lack of, of, of parity between how intensely the mind is engaged versus the complete like unresponsiveness on the emotional level. That's what he wants to address. If the mind is not deeply engaged, because again, inability, lack of, lack of knowledge, lack of practice, that's a separate issue. And that should be dealt with in its own way. Questions? Who's able to achieve this? The would say most people most of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. Does he go into the category? No. He, 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 the, the basis is that chapter 18, um, he says that uh, having a meaningful emotional connection to Hashem that comes from your soul should apply to everybody. And what he's described is, applies generally. And so he... Now, who is this most people most of the time, right? I mean, we can sit and debate that. Um, you know, obviously if a person doesn't practice being, being able to be inwardly focused on all these things. But again, a lot of things are just practiced. They're not like, I don't have that. But you might, like, again, you might be able to like meditate for long periods of time and you might be able to like do some very deep thinking to prepare a lecture on, on, your, on, on, your, on what your professional expertise is and you might be able to like, your problem is not your mental abilities per se. It's just when it comes to God, it's just, you can regurgitate what you've learned and you can, use more examples and like you feel like beyond that you just don't know what to do. It just feels like 
And that has a kind of a sensitivity of, 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 of a sensitivity of your mind to God, what he calls Das Ktsara, that just, and maybe, it doesn't mean that that's a permanent problem, but if, if that's where you're at, then like this wouldn't work. And so there's no even reason to like try to work on this. And it gives a totally different approach to chapter 18. Here he's saying, no, no, that's not your problem. Like, you can, like, when you start thinking about God, you get into it and your mind turns on, it turns active, right? It's on high and, and yet there's no corresponding emotional pressure building that eventually bursts forth. And like, why is that not happening? And how do you solve that? Can you solve it? Right? That, that's the issue that we want to address. Um, and he says that, you know, so I think most people most of the time, I mean, have, have, the, have the ability. I don't mean most people most of the time are going to be successful in doing this contemplation. Because like I said, it takes practice. And, you know, we live very distracted lives, which makes it harder. But that's just something to work on. It's not like any parent thing. Can you define the emotional response? Emotional response is like we actually, it's like, it's like actually you feel, an, like, like, have you ever felt in love? Have you ever felt afraid? Mm-hmm. We mean like that. If you feel it physically. Is it like an ongoing thing, a constant thing? Um, that would be proportion, proportional. The more, the more consistent and intense the contemplation should be, if everything would be going properly, then it's not gonna, that emotional response will fade sometime after the contemplation stops, but it will, it will, be, it will last for some period of time and it will have, like, and it'll have effects even afterwards. Like, like we all know that even when you're not feeling the butterflies in your stomach when you're in love, and even if you're not feeling the anxiety right now because you're afraid, you still have that, that sense of that love and fear that carries you with you in the next you know, hours and days afterwards. So, um, yeah. In chapter 12, the author discussed this more in detail, the kind of like life cycle of the experience. But it's not permanent. Yeah, no, I feel like it... Already because I was put on the spot. <laughs> it's already all out there. I feel like I went through something like this. That's cool. And I feel like I'm at that stage where it's like it's still with me a little bit. So there is something which is not discussed here at all, which is, um, is actually not really discussed in Tanya. is discussed in other places in Chassidus. That there's a way you can have intense emotional experiences of uh, emotional experiences relating to God that are not like this at all, and not like what it discusses later. And that has to do with God um, coming and affecting the soul. In other words, everything in Tanya is discussing something that a person self-initiates. There is something that happens um, that Hashem kind of wakes up the soul in a person. Um, And there's different channels for that. And so sometimes a person might actually be surprised that it used to be that thinking about God, my mind was on fire and I felt this profound emotion. And then after a year or two goes by, like, it never happens again. And they're like, well, why can't I do it anymore? And the answer is because you weren't doing it to begin with. Um, not that that makes it illegitimate. It's just there, there's a notion that, that, you know, just like in any relationship, there's the overture of you towards the other and there's the overture of the other to you. And so there is a way, um, sometimes as a reward and sometimes out of compassion when the Prashem feels the soul is getting too lost or whatever the case may be. You know, he doesn't give me the exact reasons why and when. Hashem will infuse an, an awareness of Hashem in any variety of ways that can be very profound and very real and very authentic, but cannot be reproduced because they weren't your own doing. Um, and sometimes it's, that can confuse people. I, I'm not going to say what your experience was because like, I don't know about you. Um, and not always is easy to tell within a person themselves, but it is something to be aware of. 
that. Um, and especially if it seems that, as our sages say, lefum tsara agra, according to the pain is the gain, if the intensity and profoundness of your experience doesn't seem proportional to the amount of effort you have to put in to produce it, that's a good indication. It's probably a lot of God's doing. Um, Can you say that last part again? If someone is experiencing an awareness of Hashem or intense emotional experiences towards Hashem, that is not really proportional to the amount of effort that they had to put into to get there. That doesn't make those experiences illegitimate or false, but it is an indication those are probably more of something that Hashem is bringing to the person rather than their own doing. Because there's a general rule that things are commensurate. Um, and that, there's a, if anyone is interested, there's one of, it's even translated into the character series of Discourse of the Alter Rebbe on this very topic um, about Hashem awaking the person versus the person awaking themselves and the interplay between the two and it's an important thing to know in life. Tanya, because it's a guidebook to your actual service, really, all, for the main part, only addresses your self-generated awarenesses and experiences of Hashem. So that's something to be aware of as well. Good? All right. Now. Now, if we look carefully at the text, it says... It says that you don't produce this revealed love in God's, of God in one's heart to make the light burning coals of the great design yearning and heart for passion and cleave to him. But the love is hidden in one's brain in the recesses of one's heart. So there is love being produced, right? Okay? And this is important. If love is not being produced at all, then that's not this chapter. If love is not being produced, it's either you're doing the contemplation wrong, you're not capable of contemplating, you're a sinner. Contemplation produces love. Produces love. Contemplating the greatness of Hashem, if a Jew contemplates the, great, the greatness of Hashem, they will produce love. The question is, is that going to be an emotional experience or what he calls here, love hidden in one's brain in the recesses of one's heart? Okay. Now, we have a note. I love the notes in Tanya. I don't always teach them. Um, it really depends on who I'm teaching. So first off, why are there notes? The reason why there are notes is the notes... Um, are information to help understand what the author is saying in the chapter, but are not actually necessary to understand what the chapter is talking about. Okay, so the chapter the author is, is is making certain points, providing a certain um, guidance, and if you don't know what's in the note, it's fine. But if you know what's in the note, you have a greater understanding and a greater appreciation, a greater context for what he said. Okay. Um, so in the note, what he actually says here, um, and there's actually two notes in this chapter, is he actually says, what is the cause of this problem? Because what he's going to actually do is he's going to go on to describe the problem, and he's going to describe how you should relate to the problem, but, because that's really what you need to know as the kind of user end, right? Like, if my computer isn't working, do I really need to know why it's not working? I just need to know how to fix it, and if I can't fix it, what's the workaround? So, but here he actually explains to us what the underlying problem is. So we're going to learn that, um, and I doubt we'll finish today. And then we'll go back to describing this problem, right? What is it? And we'll talk about what it means that the love is hidden in one's brain and resources of one's heart, and ultimately what's the alter of his approach for dealing with this, where you have this, this dissonance between the intensity of the engagement in the mind and the real lack of an emotional experience in the heart. Okay. The reason for this is that the vitality of this person's intellect and nefesh, ruach, and neshama is derived from the so-called ibur, gestation, and concealment within the supernal understanding. 
and not from the quality of birth and revelation, and revelation, as it is known to the students of Kabbalah. So you all have your Kabbalah chart over there. In reference to your Kabbalah chart, would you please like to explain to me what he just said? The Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama, they're all like the different levels of the soul. Very good. Okay, so like everything, it's important to understand the basics first and the details afterwards. If you get lost in the details, then you don't really know what you're talking about, right? So I would like you, keeping in mind that you are not masters of Kabbalah, to look at this note and try and figure out what is the main point that he is saying. So try and see past the, the... you know, all the details and what is, what is he trying to say? What is the reason? Why would it be that a person is capable of contemplating and not capable, uh, and yet that contemplation does not bring about this emotional experience? Intellect is derived from the concealment, but not from the quality of the, of the revelation. Okay. So a person's intellect comes from one of two places, a place of concealment or a place of revelation. And if your intellect comes from a place of concealment, then will you be able to contemplate? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Will you be able to give rise to emotional experiences? Can you change the source of your intellect? No. What? It, I mean, it would seem that that on the surface of it is probably not something that's so readily available, right? Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to try to elaborate it. There's, we all have souls, yeah? Our souls are not all the same. And our souls are different in many dimensions. One dimension in which the soul is different is whether the soul comes from the level called ibur, gestation, or leida, birth. Now, what does it mean that some souls come from gestation and some souls come from birth? So to do this, to understand this, um, we have to understand how souls come about. How do souls come about? Does anyone know? Right, we just like, there's a mystical world and there's some souls there. Like, how did they get there? <laughs> did Hashem go to souls are us and buy them? Special <laughs> story. <laughs> it's like, where did the souls come from? Amazon Prime. <laughs> he blew one of the male He what? <laughs> I'm not asking how the soul got into you. That we know. He, he blew the soul into you. That, that I'm not asking about. How, how, where did the souls come from? Adam and Chava. Wait, 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 wait. Let's see, let's see. You maybe have this right, but I have a slight idea. What do you mean by Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve? He first made those souls have 
Okay. Whatever, I'm going back. Okay, and? And then after that, it's all like, no. No, it's like they split after that. Later. Later, so, okay. It's like a candle. Okay, so I will tell you how souls come about. Not because I'm a Kabbalist. Um, I just happen to read books written by Kabbalists. So, okay. The way it works is like this. There's God. Okay. And God, in order to connect to the world, creates for himself something called the spheros, known by your Kabbalah chart over there, right? The spheros are God's way of presenting himself so that he can actually interact with things, relate to things, engage with things, okay? If you want to think of this very simply, like you could not interact with the world if you didn't have a body, you couldn't have relations with other people if you didn't have a psyche, right? So you need to be clothed in these different forms in order to have interactions, so God gives himself a kind of a form, a kind of a structure that through which he can relate to others and others will be able to relate to him. So far, so good? Okay. Now, um, do we have a marker? So I'm going to use the board. I apologize to the people. Okay. Now, I keep making fun of this Kabbalah chart, right? <laughs> and now I'm going to explain to you why. Okay. I'm going to do a like, kindergarten version of a family, okay? Yes. <laughs> That's the Tati. Did you say that it's not an adult correct? <laughs> I said it's kindergarten.
So far, so good? Okay. Now. In life, those are things that all happen in time. Okay? But in the spiritual realms, it's not time, it's levels. Okay? So what we would say is like this. There is a level of the father and the mother where they are separate. There's a level of the father and mother being together. There's a level where the mother has the son and daughter inside of her. And there's a level where the son and daughter have already come out. Okay? So far, so good? Okay. I haven't disturbed anybody there, right? Okay. I'm going to disturb you. What? I'm warning you. This is what it says in the Kabbalistic sources. I don't make this stuff up. There's a third generation. No. Yes. No way. There's a third generation. No What's the third generation called? The third what? Grandchildren. The third generation is called. The God of Souls. That's the third generation. Okay? Now, so who are the parents of the Ben and the Bas? Who are the parents of the godly souls? Ben and the Bas. Oh. Now, are parents like their children? Yes. So if this, these are godly personas, then these are godly Well, these are personas of God, right? There's always God presents himself, but these, then these are godly personas. There's always a godly soul. Godly persona. So godly soul is the way God projects himself into the world. Okay. Fine? Now here's the thing. Remember we said how the... the, um, the Ben and the Bas, the son and the daughter, they have two levels. What are their two levels? In love. Right, in the email outside the email, right? In gestation after birth. And unlike biological, this the way this works, but um, they can produce godly souls in either state. But the godly souls they produce are based on the state they were in. So if they produce godly souls while they were still in the gestation in the email, then those godly souls are going to be as developed as the godly souls after the, these two levels come on their own. Yeah. So, where does your soul come from? <coughs> if your soul comes from the, the... If your soul comes from the interaction of the Ben and the Bas while they were still gestating in the Ema, so it says in Kabbalah, then your soul is going to be able to have a hard time really having its own full-fledged family. But, but if your soul comes from after the Ben and Bas fully manifest, then your soul can develop a full-fledged family. Now, what is this family in the person? So now if I like look at your soul, and I want to make it, because not everything is like a microcosm of itself. So in the godly soul, it says like this. Okay, so in the parentheses is going to be what everything represents. Okay, The father represents... I don't do this in English. Okay. 
Fachmann. Meaning like this. If your soul came about from the, the Ben and the Bas when they were still gestating in the Ema, then it has a very developed sense of. It has a very developed sense of. But it doesn't have a very well developed sense of love and fear of Hashem. So no matter how much it contemplates, is it really ever going to produce intense experiences that can be felt in the body? No. No, it just can't. But if your godly soul was produced by the, the bed and the bass after they came out, your godly soul has a full capacity to experience love and fear, just like it has the capacity for Chafmanina, so intense that those love and fear experiences could be felt in the actual body. So everyone has the, the Chafmanina, the question is if they have the love and the fear. Well, yeah, no, everyone has the love and the fear. To what extent? Right, because your souls come from this level, but the question is they come from this level as it's... Here or as it's included in there. And so some souls literally are incapable of ever producing. Is that like a majority? Do you know where most souls come from? In our generation, most souls come from us. Okay, but. I realize there's some incestuous relationships going on in order ahead of time, but that's just kind of how it is in the Kabbalistic <laughs> This is why you should never take Kabbalah literally, right? Because Kabbalah, everything is symbolic. Right? So I don't say, oh, it says in Kabbalah this, so therefore the halacha is that. Like, we don't do that. Halacha is its own thing, Kabbalah is its own thing. If you know the halacha and you know the Kabbalah, you can see the parallels, but like, you don't go further than that. Okay? Um, so, the souls are coming about from the unity of these two levels. It was called the Ben and the Bas. But the Ben and the Bas can exist the way they're subsumed in their source, the mother, or when they fully manifest on their own. And so you have souls which have a fully, which can manifest all four aspects, and souls which their ability to ask, manifest the love and fear aspect is actually quite stunted. And so they can never have, those souls can produce an experience of love and fear of Hashem that is really its own experience outside the contemplation. And it doesn't matter how well, much you contemplate, it's not going to happen. The hardware isn't there, it's not developed, right? It, it's like, you know, there's certain things that function in a fetus and certain things that don't function in a fetus, such as breathing, right? No matter, no, thank God, no amount of, like, development is going to help a fetus doesn't breathe, right? Because it's not supposed to. And similarly, certain souls just cannot produce that. By the way, does it mean they can't experience intense love and fear to Hashem? No, we're talking about their own capacity to produce it. It's very important. Okay. So, that's what he means. There's, right, now, the soul has many aspects and levels. I don't know that I want to go more into that, because I said this is really just background. But what he's saying is that you're, you're not, maybe not, so maybe not, maybe not like this, but some souls, their source comes from these two levels, but when they're in a state of gestation. So when a fetus is gestating, right, the primary living organism is the mother, and the fetus is subsumed within the mother's biology, right? So, therefore, the experience associated with these godly manifestations are more subdued and, and um, contained within the larger experience of here. And that's where the contemplation, that's the thing that contemplation is all about. So, just some souls can't really do it. That's the bottom line. Now, if you don't know any of this, can you still understand the rest of the chapter? 
Yeah. Yeah, you don't really need to know the Kabbalistic background of why it is, but you should know that that some souls are, like I'd like to say, they're preemies. They're not really developed before they come into this world, and uh, they can contemplate Hashem, and they can feel within the context of the contemplation, but they can't feel as an experience out, outside of the contemplation. Do the parents have any effect on that? None whatsoever. There's no correlation whatsoever between who your parents are and which kind of godly soul you have. There is a correlation between who your parents are and your sensitivity to your godly soul, which is an important thing. Um, and your, the, 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 the level of purity of mind that your parents are living with at the moment they conceive you creates the baseline degree of sensitivity that you have to your own godly soul. So you could actually have a very low-level soul, but parents who are very um, holy um, in their mindset, in their life, and therefore they conceive the child, which is very sensitive to their own soul, and they might seem to be at a higher level than someone who actually has a loftier soul with greater potential, but is more out of touch with their soul because there's more barriers to get through. But yeah, your parents have no bearing on it whatsoever. Um, most of Kabbalah actually is talking about the relationships between the father, the mother, the son, and the daughter, the Abba, the Ima, the Ben, and the Bas, and not talking about what's going on on that chart. Just like the more interesting that's happening is, is the dynamics going on within a family than like what's happening in the cardiovascular system of a particular person. <laughs> I mean, it's also interesting, but like it has somewhat less significance than the actual dynamics of the people's lives. Questions? Okay. Um, now, there's one other little thing that I think we should talk about before we go back in, into the Souls, remember I said like you can't like change the level of your soul? That's not really 100% true. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> so, right, when is your soul born? Because I mean, if your soul's, like there's the first <clears throat> spiritual personas are the Abba and the Ima, and then that gives rise to the secondary ones called the Ben and the Bas, and then there's these tertiary ones which are called our souls, right? So when do the souls get born? Anyone know? I'm not talking about when your soul came into your body. The soul is born on the seventh day of Pesach. When is the soul conceived? <coughs> No, Shemini Atzeres. Meaning, there's a way in which your soul, and I really don't want to use this expression because it's like, it has the wrong connotations, but your soul can be reborn. <laughs> On what day of Pesach? The seventh day of Pesach. On Shemini Atzeres, um, Kabbalah says is that what happens is that the union that produces the souls occurs and the souls are sufficiently developed to enter the world on Pesach. 
Um, so what happens is that the, the exact makeup of your soul can be altered as you live throughout life. In other words, it, it's not like I can now change my, my soul, but it, it, it's definitely the case that, that, that there is a kind of dynamism within the souls themselves. I am not a Kabbalist. I do not know many details about this. Um, you can ask me follow-up questions and my answer will be, I don't know. But I do think it is important to realize that um, from a Kabbalistic point of view, um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is all about um, preparing for the marriage that will produce your soul. And on Shemini Atzeres, the last day of Sukkot, the spiritual ask dimensions which can get together to conceive your soul, get together to conceive your soul. And so the quality of your soul then is kind of determined at that point. And, um, and then it develops and is ready to manifest into the world in a new way, starting on the seventh day of Pesach, represented by the splitting of the sea. So there is a way in which the nature of your soul from year to year can be different than what it was before. I do not know more and more details beyond that point. So while it's true, like you can't go and fix it, it's not like it's permanently fixed forever. A person's soul could be getting its vitality on one level and then given how their Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, that whole thing goes, is that there could be a kind of new birthing of the soul and the soul could be operating on a totally different level. That is possible. And that happens when it's still like in the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right, right, right. Which really, you really, like, this is, like, it's important to realize that when you try and think of everything like just, like, plan it out as a chart, it becomes incredibly convoluted and, and, and complicated because there's so many lines of causality going in many different directions all at once. Um, so I'm not going to bother to chart it out. I just think it's important to realize that it's not like this happened and now it's fixed. It's like this is an ongoing dynamic within the spiritual realms, and as such, there is a possibility of the soul at any given point being in a different state and coming from getting a different level of vitality. Um, and so is it possible that something could happen at a point in a person's life where their soul is no longer on this level and can actually unlock that potential? But for our purposes, what we need to know for this chapter is like, if that hasn't happened yet, there's nothing you as a human being can do to change it. And so what, what comes out from this is that the, the, the successful contemplation not producing emotional response is an unsolvable problem. And that doesn't sound very good because the basic premise of Tanya is that you're supposed to have a deep, meaningful relationship with Hashem. That's emotional. So that's coming from your soul. So how are we supposed to understand how to look at this? How, should we, how big of a problem is it? How problem, and, and we're going to talk about that. That's what the rest of the chapter is going to be about. So in a nutshell, if your soul is not sufficiently developed at the point at which you are in life, then no matter how much contemplation you do, even though the contemplation will be a genuine awareness of Hashem, the emotional intensity, your, your godly soul cannot produce that kind of emotional intensity. And so the question is, what do we do about that? Or how do we, how do we deal with that? Not you know, it's using a medical thing. How do we um, treat it? Because we can't cure it. Okay. Now, if you haven't produced an intense emotional response, though, does it necessarily mean that that's, you, you have one of these undeveloped souls, these souls from the level of gestation? No, it could mean you're not contemplating properly. It could mean you don't, you don't, you're not in a state where you have that kind of awareness of Hashem that allows contemplation of Hashem. 
It could be that you're not putting the effort into contemplation. It could be that you're a sinner and you do tshuva, right? There's, some, there's many other things that could result in the same effect of not having these intense emotions. And then on top of that, you could have intense emotions that are not coming from your own awareness and growth and connection to Hashem, but are being infused within you from above for any number of reasons. Questions? Comments? Okay. Is anyone really interested in Kabbalah? Okay, so just to finish this, we didn't really need it, but the Abba is represented by the Yud of Hashem's name, the Ima is represented by the He of Hashem's name, the Ben is represented by the Vav of Hashem's name, and the Bas is represented by the second He of Hashem's name. So in Kabbalah, the, the four-letter name of Hashem represents the cohesive interaction of these four manifestations of God. And each one of them, like a whole person, has a whole body, has an aspect of Kesser and Chachma and whatever. So, if you are interested in Kabbalah, that's all the complex stuff you learn about. Chassidus doesn't touch this stuff in any great detail, simply because Chassidus is interested in our living relationship with Hashem, and so it brings up these ideas as is needed to give insight and context and clarity, but not as a subject matter in and of itself, which is also why I don't know that much about it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow is questions and